and the non-believers shall be cast out from the kingdom of heaven and struck down by the wrath of God the Almighty. We are recording. Welcome. We are live. We're live. We are alive. We're live. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in charge today. It's my turn to be in charge. I want to be the boss. Um, and what better way to be the boss than to talk about trauma? <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about religious trauma today. This is going to be a very somber and sad conversation but one that we're going to get through with smiles on our faces which is just going to be such a a fun way to play with life i am going to open the floor after giving the definition of religious trauma okay sounds good the definition is that religious trauma syndrome uh first of all it's not a dsm-5 diagnosis throwing that out there first of all doesn't mean that it's not real but it needs to be you know established that it is not yet a established diagnosis in the DSM. So RTS, religious trauma syndrome, is a group of symptoms that arise in response to traumatic or stressful religious experiences. Most of the articles that I read on this say that you can also, I don't, I don't want to say the word diagnose because it's not, you know, but I'm going to use the word diagnose. This can also be experienced by any number of negative religious experiences. It doesn't always have to be like a cult. It doesn't always have to be uh, family Christmas. These, these can be traumatic for sure, but it can come from any number of negative religious experiences. So I want to kind of pick you guys' brain on what you think religious trauma presents as. If, have you experienced it? Do you know someone who's experienced it? And then we'll kind of move on. We'll talk about signs and recog- like recognizing it and all that kind of stuff later. Um, can I give a, like a, a, a secondary or a... Um... What's the word? Like a supplemental. Supplemental. There we go. There we go. Supplemental Perfect. definition of uh, of trauma here. Yes, absolutely. Please go ahead. Okay, so I was reading and I did a little bit of research today, and um, one of the articles I came across listed three different types of religious trauma. Uh, they just basically broke it into three categories, which I kind of was interested by. So the first category they called religious shock, uh, and this is what results when trauma violates deeply held religious beliefs. For example, if children believe that God consistently rewards the good and punishes the evil, then having suffered uh, an undeserved, in quotes, trauma can create secondary trauma of shattering core beliefs. So they're basically having to, to question these beliefs that they've held for so long, and that is what they called religious shock. And then the second category is called, called it's, it's basically based on the idea that religion and trauma reinforce each other. So not necessarily the, the trauma coming from the church, but having trauma occur outside the church in your life and then having the church reinforce that by saying like these beliefs of you deserve it, like, you know, God punishes the, the wicked or whatever. And so it's just re- reinforcing trauma you've had elsewhere, but it's not necessarily the cause of it. I mean, and the fi- that, really. yeah. And then the final category is that where religion is the trauma. And this is more of the, um, the direct context of like how you come about these core beliefs and what religion says. So mm. the original, the idea of original sin and stuff like that would be considered um, in this final category. Yeah. So, so we have trauma from the church, trauma outside the church, but reinforced by the church. And then what was the first one? Uh, the the oh. trauma that is caused when you like 
have your ideals shaken mm-hmm. and have to like reevaluate these ideals that you the ideals being your identity within the church. Cool. Yeah. So you're forced to, you're forced to confront something that you disagree with within the church. And then that in turn creates dissonance within yourself because it's part of your identity. So you are forced to disagree with yourself. I feel like that one would be more common. Yeah. The first, yeah, I feel like the first one would be far more common because I mean, it's more likely you're going to experience something outside of your religion personally that conflicts with your religion rather than experiencing something within your religion that contradicts a personal belief. Speaking more to like personal experience with it, uh, I'm sure I know people who have been traumatized by the church and we might not have ever had that conversation. I'm thinking of a couple individuals off the top of my head uh, that maybe had a bad experience, you know, from the LGBT community. Uh, They had a bad experience with the church. Um, Where? (laughs) Where? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, you know, nah, we love for debate. But yeah, I think for me personally, it's something I've been having to confront as of lately, because up until this point, I kind of thought that religious trauma was like conversion therapy. Yeah. And that was it. You know, like if you weren't either assaulted by a priest or had to undergo conversion therapy, then like you couldn't be religiously traumatized. And so um, in like my own counseling and stuff, I've kind of come to grips with the fact that like there is more subtle ways of, of religious trauma. And so now, like, I, I would say that I'm a person who, uh, in some sense of the word, has experienced that. Taught shame. You don't have to shame someone if you can teach them to do it to themselves. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, that actually sort of, so I don't know if you, I mean, it has so many different names. I call it worm theology, um, the I am the worm teaching where mm. you have to, it's a part of your religious practice to believe that you are let, you are not worthy of whatever you're talking about, whether it be love, whether it be salvation, that you're not worthy. Most religions do this, not all of them do, which is crazy, right? I would say most religions in, that are existent in America definitely have this. Because when you teach people that they have to stick with you to find worth, or they have to adhere to what you're saying to find worth, they're more likely to give you their what? Money. <laughs> <laughs> which is what fuels everything <laughs> the capitalist christian church yeah it's crazy we'll come back to that later in different different episode wait the capitalism so, part or the oh uh, yeah oh yeah whenever okay, whenever, yeah. whenever we do um the politics of christ one which i'm very excited for already yeah, yeah. so let's talk about some signs of religious trauma these are going to sound very s- similar to just uh general emotional trauma because guess what religious trauma is emotional trauma what so some of them, very common. So reduced ability to think, you know, lethargy, uh, negative self-beliefs, trouble forming questions, depression, anxiety, grief, you know, feeling lost, feeling lonely, things that resemble signs and symptoms that line up with PTSD. Now, not everyone that experiences religious trauma experiences all of these. In fact, most people will experience a, a few of them in different combinations. So there are some ways to identify these. However, when somebody is in a religious organization, it is more often than not because the trauma is coming from an organization that you view as your support system, you're going to ignore some of these red flags. And I want to state first and foremost that that is that is understandable as nuts as like as much as we wish it didn't happen it's understandable 
why it's difficult to identify these things in yourself, which is why it's important to have people outside of your religious organization that you can trust and rely on as well, who can hold you accountable for your mental and spiritual health. I actually want to take a step further and say that like, not only is it a community and a support system, but it's also an authority. And so I definitely Mm -hmm. don't want to overstate or understate how difficult it is because you're right. Like, um, having to go against your authority and step out of your comfort zone and out of your community uh, is difficult. And so I totally understand it as, as far as where they're coming from, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make it hurt any less. Like I still hurt for these, these people, but I definitely understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And um, these signs, these indications that you've experienced religious trauma often follow individuals who are exiting or existing in an authoritarian religious environment. One of the reasons why I am more okay, and by more okay, I mean, obviously, I would, obviously I'm going to fight for anyone's right to their religious beliefs and practices, whether or not I agree with them or not. I, I do believe in the right to religion. But one of the ones that I'm more okay with, at least in Christianity, because that's usually going to be our main topic here, are denominations like the Episcopalians or some sects of the Presbyterian Church or even a good chunk of the congregation of the Methodist Church. Whoa. I know. Did you just say sex? <laughs> sex in the Methodist Church never happened. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. Damn. Like, I was talking about like groups in the Presbyterian Church, like sex, like S-E-C-T-S. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah sex, yeah. Methodist, haven't seen I'm more okay with individuals in those groups because it seems to be that there is less of this worm theology when it comes to people in the Episcopal church, the congregations of Methodist churches, typically. When the American Methodist church finally separates from the United Methodist church, I will stand them to the end of time. Next summer, man. Next summer. I'm so, I'm ready. I'm, oh my God, we need to do a report on it when it happens. I'm so excited. Yep. But these parts of the Christian faith system typically don't have as much, I'm not saying they don't have any, but they definitely don't have as much of this authoritarian, you must ideology. And that is where my issue comes in, is the you must. Anytime a you must is taught, I don't care if I agree with it. No. There is ne- there should never be a you must when it comes to spiritual beliefs because spiritual health is very individual and it's going to work differently for different people. It's literally like shoes. It is very much like shoes. Like what what kind of shoe do you, what are you doing? That's going to determine what kind of shoe do you need. Like I don't need hiking boots if I'm going to go get the mail. I wear them to get the mail because I think I look great in them, but I don't need them to go get the mail. Let's let me use a specific example. Some people do very well in traditional religious environments. Like they, they enjoy the tradition, they can appreciate like service structure and there are very loving people in those environments who are wonderful and have, you know, don't have a bad bone in their body. Some people do very well listening to contemporary music in a service and, you know, having their Sunday school groups inside of a Starbucks. And yes, they're annoying. Yes, you know, they wear the chunky scarves and they, you know, they're going to have their uh what's the fuck what's that brand called uh southern fried uh, cotton yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, all, southern all, fried cotton yeah, yeah, yeah southern yeah. fried cotton they're gonna have all that on and it's gonna be annoying but they're not harm those people typically aren't gonna they're not directly harming people right now 
obviously if they're problematic as an individual, that's a different story. But in, in what I'm talking about is that some people just thrive in different kinds of environments. My issue comes in when the environment that people are taught to thrive in is authoritarian. Like, and that applies to every single sector of life. It applies to religion, it applies, it applies to education and politics, everything. Um, authoritarianism normally does not do well, right? Um, unless you were in a position of like a judge, like a judge has to be the authority in the room. I expect a judge to have authoritarian attitudes because you're the fucking judge. Well, what I think you're getting at here though is like the heart of evangelism in mm-hmm. a sense of like the shoulds and the must, like you yes. must follow my religion you must convert and everybody has to, to follow this religion. Yeah. But no, but you don't understand the Muslims that they'll say convert or die. <laughs> And we are just out here wearing our very strange matching t-shirts. And all of my kids' names are uh, Caden, all seven of them. And we're just out here loving people. Yes. We also need to talk about, since we're going to talk about it being bad, that authoritarianism in religion is bad, generally giving individuals power in religious organizations does not bode well doesn't do very well and we're going to talk about how to identify what? and how to address these issues in your own faith community i'm most of this i'm going to be speaking to people in faith communities because it might be hard to believe but i have a very deep heart for the christians in america i think that there are so many of them that want to do the right thing. They genuinely think that what they're doing is the right thing. And I think that is a as misguided as a lot of their beliefs are, as off the rails as most of them are, the intention is good. And if those intentions are just met with education and with direct dialogue, most of them aren't going to listen, but some of them might, right? So that is my goal. I want to speak to the people who want to be good. They want to be good people. First of all, you're never going to be a great person. Let's just call it like that. I'm not a great person. I don't want to be a great person. Like I, that's not, I don't aspire to be an amazing person. So we need to first learn how to recognize abuse in faith communities. And there are different uh, environments within a faith community that abuse can occur. The first one we're going to talk about, so it's important to understand that this can be hard to recognize from the inside and the outside. Um, and that any of these red flags we're going to be talking about should be met seriously, even if based on suspicion. Um, because when it comes to when it comes to being involved in a community where you feel like you're surrounded by your faith family, it is very important to take concerns seriously, because you need to make sure that your judgment is not being clouded by the positive parasocial relationships you've developed. Right? I mean, even me, like I have people in my life who I would identify as evangelicals, that it's very hard to criticize because I like them as people. Like it's hard for me to be aggressive in my stances because I think they're genuinely very sweet people. And I don't like Mm -hmm. to be confrontational. Even if I'm not the one starting those conversations, it's hard for me to even defend what I believe, even if I may have the right words and I may know what to say, but I'm I'm still trying to develop the skill of being rough with uh, ideas and kind with people. It's Mm, it's learning how to separate the two. That's tough. Because I can get passionate. Um, So where can religious trauma occur? Well, one of the ones, so I kind of did these in order. uh, It's just, I, I chose two of the biggest ones that I think are the most common. The first one is in relationships, Mm -hmm. uh, ergo romantic relationships. 
um, <laughs> where you are with a partner, you're either married or you're dating, something like that. You got a partner, it's a, you're married to a goat, right? And this goat is terrible to you. This goat keeps telling you to just read Philippians and feel better. <laughs> so partners can sometimes be a factor in us fearing to question our faith or transition within or out of one. And I wanted to add in the transition within our faith specifically, because even asking the questions, not with the intention of leaving or dropping or retreating from your faith, but simply wanting to address things that you do not find to be reasonable or that you find um, contradict personal beliefs and you just want to explore those. Sometimes romantic partners can hinder that process by pressuring us with the romantic relationship to stay the, like, stay the same, like stay within their parameters of uh, faith relation. If I can speak on that for a little bit. Yeah, um, of course. Just like as a marriage family counselor, like this really hits home for me uh, because That's one right. of the things we talk about a lot is uh, domestic violence and domestic abuse um, and how I think a lot of people assume that means a spouse hitting the other spouse. So usually like the man hitting the woman or um, at least it's how it's portrayed mostly. Uh, but it, it goes a lot deeper than that. There, that's physical abuse. Yes, absolutely. But there's uh, different levels. Um, you can have financial abuse where someone controls all the money and it doesn't let the partner um, have like access to their funds or yeah, this is more with the religion what I would classify as emotional abuse um, and you kind of alluded to that earlier is it, it seems very similar to PTSD in ways and emotional trauma yeah. so yeah I would absolutely consider this emotional abuse and as well as religious abuse. So to yeah. me, it falls under two categories. And, you know, if you can't get behind the idea of taking religious abuse seriously, then like, let's get behind the idea of taking inner partner violence seriously or um, domestic abuse seriously, because in the end of the, at the end of the day, emotional abuse is domestic abuse. Like anytime there's a, a power difference between one party and the other, like you were talking about with the authoritarianism, but even within the relationship, the, the power in your example lies with the person who is trying to keep the other person in the religion because they're using uh, that guilt and that shame that's built in to the religion to like keep them there. Yeah. Um, uh, go for it. Go. So I was going to hop on, I guess, this relationship. Hop on training. in here. So the, the, what, one of the Bible verses that kind of, kind of grinds my gears, really, really gets me going. Really First tickles Peter, your toes, doesn't it? Tickle it. It tickles them to heck. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's First Peter 3.2 or 3.1. Um, and if those of you are familiar with this, this might strike some fear. And it's wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that even if they refuse to believe the word, uh, they will be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And it goes on and it talks about like the husband treating the wife like Christ treats the church. And it's kind of controversial. But if traditional marriage structure, if that makes you happy, if that's your thing, if that works for y'all, go for it. That's fine. Submitting does not mean giving up your happiness, your mental health, your spiritual health for your autonomy. Your partner your yeah. autonomy autonomy is a big one that. Yeah, a relate the the idea so <laughs> let's go on a sidetrack with relationships real quick i think that it's wonderful when people are together and they really feel like they are one per they're a unit like they are together however especially in religious-based relationships it can cross lines 
while you may feel like a unit and, and operate like a unit and be like, you know, be single-minded with each other. Sure. There is still, you should have individual autonomy to the day you die. It is the one right, the one real right you have entering into this world is that you control yourself for the most part, excluding external factors. Like you should have the right to your body and mind and soul in this case. And to hop onto Adams's point, romantic partners can often use religion to justify inappropriate behavior. And it's very easy. It's so easy. And when people use religion, if you are religious, so let's say you, you're with someone and they have the same faith that you do, you follow the same religion. It's very easy for them to convince you that things are okay when they're not by using religion that you're okay with. They're using a false premise. <laughs> and they may really believe it. Like, I'm sure that there really are men out there who think that like, their girlfriend has to submit to them. I mean, those guys are weird and cringy and I will make fun of them, but they're out there, sure. (laughs) It's weird, but sure. Um, Also, scripture has errors and even if it directly says, wives submit to your husbands, uh, I would reject that outright. Yeah. Based on personal belief. Yeah. Right. And I think Submit to no one. the, The problem for me is that this seems like something that would be adopted by the fundamentalist (gasps) and what i found is that it's not necessarily the case i mean Mm -hmm. i i remember distinctly uh a mother's day sermon when i was still attending church and i was in college so i was home for the weekend for mother's day and so obviously i went to church with my family and i consider the church i went to uh to be very progressive and like especially for the the town and, and the state it's like I guess it's New Spring-esque, so it's at least oh my pretends God. to be pr- progressive. Y'all got MacBooks um, as a gift bag, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and um, the Mother's Day sermon was all about basically that verse that Ben just cited for us and and how, like, knowing your role, in quotes, was biblically oriented and like it just basically reaffirmed gender roles and i was like I, man if, if i was a mother that came into the service today excited to you know to share my faith with my kids and i walked in here and they just told me to like stand behind the men and, and speak only when spoken to like i would be pissed <laughs> yeah and so um my, my point is just that this is not relegated to fundamentalists i think this is an issue that pervades more than just that unfortunately i think Mm -hmm. this is one way or another seeped into even the most progressive churches um and that's dangerous and and scary to me i'm pulling up a verse that i really want to read for the sake of time effort and general sanity i've split this episode into two parts so this is the end of part one and i hope you look forward to part two coming to a town near you Thanks for listening to Not As Christian Is When We Started. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Pocket Cast, or Anchor FM, be sure to share that link. Our email will always be in the description, and we are happy and willing to take any questions you may have. And remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, my name is Jesse, and if you hated it, my name is Ben.